You're listening to the Author Stories Podcast. Bringing you the story behind the stories and the storytellers. Margaret Wyatt, Terry Brooks, Sheena Kamal, Matthew Quick, JT Ellison, Walt D. Williams, Brad Ford, Corey, Dr. O, Brandon Robin Mock, Ernest Klein, Jim Butcher, Sherwin Harris. Visit HankGarner.com for archives of all the shows. Today's guest is... Well, thanks for joining me again for the Author Stories Podcast, where I bring you the story behind the stories and the storytellers. Today, I'm super excited to have Maria Andrew on the show with me today. She has a phenomenal new book. It's called Love in English, and uh, what a great story. You guys are really going to love this book. Uh, Welcome to the show, Maria. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to have you. Uh, Maria, we begin each show with the same question, and that question is, what is your first memory of wanting to be a writer or storyteller? So I am lucky in that um, I actually have it written down. I have a diary from when I was 12, and I had a lot of fanciful ideas, like I was going to be, it's a kind of a laundry list of, I'm going to be a fashion designer and Mm -hmm. an architect and a this and a that. But the last line is the line that stuck. It said, uh, but most of all, I want to be a writer. So um, I know the feeling was there before that, but I, I, I so very nicely wrote it down for myself. So I have a, a an age at which I first thought it. Were you a, a bookish kid? Like did, did books hold, you know, it's some, some great, uh, you know, place in your life that you revered and, and honored writers and in, in a, um, you know, like a, like a, a, a youngster does a lot of times. Yeah, very much. And I think a lot of writers have that, um, have that history, right? Uh, I, I was very much that way. My mom, um, taught me to read and write when I was four in Spanish because she didn't speak English at the time. And so I just have this very rich memory of lots of stories being read to me and, you know, and lots of stories being told around me. Um, and then when I finally, um, began to read on my own later when I went to school, uh, just books were such a, I mean, there's such magic, right? You can go anywhere and be anyone and see everything. And so, yes, I was very captivated, captivated with books very early on. Did, um, you have a very fascinating story, um, about, um, coming to the United States and, and then learning English. Uh, you alluded to a, a minute ago. Yeah. Um, how do you feel like that um, coming to English later in life uh, maybe shaped or formed the kind of writer that you are now? Do you, do you look back and see a connection? I absolutely do, because uh, a pro, I, I, I tend to think I came to it kind of at an ideal time. We had been in the United States, but I didn't speak very much English because, you know, I stayed home with my mom and she didn't speak it. Um, And then we left when I was six and came back when I was eight. Um, And so I was young enough that I picked it up fairly quickly. There wasn't a ton of pain. You know, uh, Anna in in Love in English comes at 16. And I think that, you know, that uh, poses different challenges than than I had. But um, so I, I picked it up relatively easily, but also I had this experience of being on the outside. And, you know, I think a lot, a lot of times when we learn something, when we're very young, we just accept, oh, this is just how it is. But when you learn it later, you're like, wait, why are these two words spelled almost identically like bow and rough? 
but pronounced so differently, you know, and so just (laughs) English has always held this fascination and I've been able to see it both from the inside and the outside. And I think that's, that's shaped who I am as a writer for sure. English is absolutely schizophrenic. (laughs) It's bananas. (laughs) (laughs) My, my oldest son is a sixth grade uh, English teacher and, and I'll ask him sometimes, well, why is this? You know, because he, he has a master's degree and he's been through all of the ins and outs of the English language. And he just looks at me and his eyes kind of gloss over a little bit. Yeah. I'm like, never mind, never mind. We just, you know, that. <laughs> you just sort of reminded me of a, uh, when I was, I think a junior in high school, I had this, I, I was really blessed with fantastic English teachers and my, my English teacher played us a documentary, a PBS documentary called the story of English. And I remember all of my friends sort of glazing over it. Like, Oh my goodness, please don't make us watch this. But I was riveted because finally I was getting answers to why is English like this? You know, all of the waves of invasion and French and Latin and, um, and, and it just made things start to make sense for me. Oh, I was fascinated. My friends thought I was a real nerd because <laughs> I was. <laughs> So, um, Maria, after having um, such a um, such a strong uh, knowing that you were going to become a writer, um, how did you how did you start pursuing that? Like, what was the did you do things education wise or that that, you know, made that uh, made that happen? Was this something that or was it one of these things that you just kind of filed it away and then went through life until that popped back up? Well, so I, I wanted it. It was kind of a, um, you know, a dream of my heart, but I had no practical understanding of how you did that. And so I stumbled around in the dark as for a really long do. time, as most <laughs> of us do. So, I, I mean, I, I was an English major in college because that's what called to me. But then, uh, you know, I, I remember a, a Shakespeare professor said something very kind about one of my papers. And she said, uh, what, what are you hoping to do after? college. And, and I, so I was like, Ooh, now I get to tell someone. Right. So I, I was, well, I'd really like to write novels. You know, I, I sort of said tentatively and she's like, Oh, nobody makes money doing that. You should be an academic. And, um, and I know she meant, well, you know, she was trying to point me to a practical path, but so there was just a lot of fumbling around like that. And, um, I opened up a business in my twenties and when a, a local magazine came to ask me to advertise, I said, well, I don't really want to advertise, but can I write for you? you know, on the side. And so I was always trying to kind of like find my way in. And then, um, really, I guess the path became a little clearer. I took a, um, a class in New York city, um, where it's by a woman named Susan Shapiro and she calls it instant gratification takes too long. Um, and you write essays (laughs) and she, (laughs) and she put, that's a very New York city title. Right. And she puts you on the path, like, Oh, this essay would be good for this particular editor at this particular magazine. And it was like, finally, somebody had a flashlight, you know, and pointed me in that direction. And I, I published a piece in Newsweek and I published a piece in the Washington Post. And that sort of started the dominoes falling for me. Wow. Um, and, and did that fulfill this this thing inside you that, that you needed to write? Um, of course, you were writing and you were telling stories um, in, in a sense. And, and you know, gaining an audience but did this scratch the itch that the 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 desire of your heart if you will i you know it began to like when you can first locate the itch and and, you know start to maybe like 
get in, in that direction. Uh, but no, I, what I wanted to, to do is write books. And that took, let's see, from the time my first essay was published until my book came out, it was about five years. So it took me a while. Yeah. So um, what was what was the the impetus for that first book? Um, I'm I'm fascinated with the beginnings of of stories uh, because they are absolutely like magic most of the time. One moment there is no book, there is no story, and the next moment either a character walks on the stage of your mind, or maybe you read a a, a newspaper article, or maybe you're thinking uh, about your own personal story and it just sorts of sort of takes on a life of its own. What what was it that that jump started that first book? I certainly share your fascination, you know, when I really love a book, I want to hear everything the writer's got to say about yeah. where it started. And I and I've had a lot of those since then I've had a lot of those ideas where a character walks on or very often I think of a problem like what if blah blah blah, you know, what if you came to the United States and as a teenager and didn't speak English, what would your first year uh, uh, be like, which is what love, love in English, um, where love in English came from. But my first book began as a memoir. It's called The Secret Side of Empty. And it is about a girl who's undocumented in the United States, which I was. And so I wanted to write, my, it wasn't so much that I wanted to write my story, is that I wanted to put a human face to the experience of having been undocumented. So I wrote, and I, so I did the only thing I knew how, which was tell my story. And I shopped it around and I pitched it and I went to conferences and at a conference, an agent, a YA agent said to me, you know, I think part of the challenge, because by then I'd had like, I don't know, 74 rejections from agents. I said, as she said, um, I think the, the challenge that you're having is that a lot of the action in the story that you're describing happens when the main character is a teenager. And so you're trying to sell it. It's not quite there yet as a memoir, but have you considered turning it into a young adult novel? And like a good, stubborn, (laughs) got got to get clunked on the head several times before taking advice kind of person that I am, I filed that away. I was like, oh, thank you. Thank you. But no, you know, this is, this is, I know what I want to do. And then about six months later, you know, the light came on and I thought, right. It, in many ways, I would, it's ironic and I don't know if I, if I know how to explain this to a lot of people, but I'm, I'm going to do the story more justice when I'm not trying to serve my needs of telling what happened to me, but I'm trying to serve the needs of this, this mission of humanizing the undocumented experience. And so I, I began again and I completely fictionalized the story, um, you know, set it in contemporary times and changed stuff like that. And that became my first novel. You know, that's a uh, that's something that a lot of people struggle with is uh, a lot of times the first, um, especially novel um, that we write is so intrinsically wrapped up in in who we are and our own story as the storyteller that it's hard to separate ourselves from the the events, the happenings, the characters. Uh, and sometimes you have to get through, you know, all the way through a first draft and. And, you know, share it with some people and, and give it some space and time for you to to get between you and that story for you to start realizing that maybe maybe that's not the best place for the story. And, and, and then you get, you know, the, some separation and some freedom from that story to tell it the way it needs to be told. Um, was, was that a, a difficult thing, uh, you know, for you to come to grips with the, 
to realize that that you and the story needed to 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 be separate absolutely i mean i think that was the big challenge i i remember giving it to early readers and getting the feedback like well this scene doesn't seem realistic and and i'd be like but that's what happened like that actually happened you know or they right. would say, well, it would be better narratively if this happened before this other thing happened. And I and I, I would get very caught up in, but it happened in this way, you know. And, and so disengaging from almost wanting to chronicle it in some kind of, you know, order of, of the way it happened. Um, let me kind of take myself out of it and serve the story. But it, I mean, it was years for, for me to figure out how to do that and several iterations. So that that first book was the secret side of empty, right? Yes. So when when you finished that book and and it got out to the world and you know started finding an audience, um, what was that feeling like? You know, as as a little kid knowing that you wanted to be a writer, but could you fully appreciate what that meant um, for the the book, the thing that you wrote to kind of have a life of its own and for people to. Um, for for it to mean something to them the way books had meant something to you? Um, you ask such astute questions. It's like you really, really have lived this and you know this and you've <laughs> talked to a lot of writers because I was not prepared for that. And and that was so much better. That's such a writery question to ask. Um, I, it was it was so much better, but also surprising, better than I could have dreamed, but also surprising. Um, I remember early on in a school visit that I did you know, apparently there's a ref apparently because, you know, once you write something and it's been several years, like, and it fades into the mist, there's a reference to Superman somewhere in the text. And then at the end of the, of the novel, um, the, the character talks about, you know, she feels like she's flying over, you know, a sense of freedom. It's basically yeah. a description of a sense of freedom. And someone was like, Oh, I, I like how you pulled together that Superman reference again there at the end. And I was like, um, I don't think I did that. <laughs> and so like, it was a great moment of trying to like learning that you give it to the readers and the readers make it their own and maybe find things that you didn't realize you put in or interpret things in different ways. And, and that's fantastic. That's the co-creation of the story. Right. Right. Authors. I have a fantastic new service to tell you about. It's called PubSite. PubSite is a service to help you build your very own website, your home on the web, where you can promote your work and give your fans a place to connect with you. PubSite is a website platform that allows every author, regardless of budget, to have a great-looking professional website developed by the book marketing professionals at FSB Associates. PubSite is the new easy-to-use DIY website builder developed specifically for books and authors. Whether you're an author of one book or 20, or a small publisher, PubSite allows you to build, design, and most importantly, update your website pain-free. No need to be dependent on a designer or webmaster to make a small but costly change to your website. Save the money and do it yourself. PubSite is the best platform for authors because it's a book-centric platform. PubSite was built just for authors and small publishers. Every design, feature, and layout is book-centric. They have customized designs for you to use. It's easy to build. No coding or HTML is necessary to create a stunning, professional-looking website with all the features you want. Get a custom domain name, yourname.com. It's simple to update. You can add all of your books, add a blog and a book tour, sell from any retailer, 
manage your email list and social media, and even do e-commerce. Build your website with a 14-day free trial, then pay just $19.99 per month, which includes hosting, and we offer packages starting at $499 to set up the website for you. Pub-Site.com, the place to help authors find their home on the web. Dream Author by Sophie Hanna is an immersive 14-month coaching program for writers at any and every level of experience, and also for those of you who want to write and are just waiting for the right encouragement and guidance to get you started. Your writing dreams should make you happy. For so many of us, our dreams are not a source of happiness. Instead, they cause us stress, guilt, frustration, and even shame. Here's the great news. All of these feelings are natural and all writers experience them. The problem, though, is that when your writing dreams bring you more anxiety than joy, it affects your resolve and your productivity, and you end up not taking the action you need to take in order to propel your dreams in the right direction so that they can stand a strong chance of coming true. That's why Sophie created the Dream Author Coaching Program to teach anyone who is passionate about writing how to change the way they build, think about, and pursue their writing dreams in order to become their own most powerful ally and advocate for the rest of their writing life. And more great news. Once you've learned that skill, it lasts forever. Visit dreamauthorcoaching.com to get started today. So... After that first book comes out and you put so much of yourself in it and then given yourself the the space to to let the story be what it needs to be and and then it goes out to the world and it finds an audience and and uh, and all of that is great and wonderful. At some point, the writer is faced with that blank canvas uh, yes. all over again. Um, your your follow up book, um, the one that we are. Uh, talking about today, love in English uh, is, is several years later from that first book. Um, tell me a little bit about the process of 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 going from finishing that one, feeling that need to write again, and where this story comes from. Yeah, uh, from publication date to publication date, it will be just one month shy of seven years between wow. books, and it is not for lack of trying. By the way, there are. Uh, uh, seven or eight drawer novels in between those two, some partial, some complete, some which I hope will make it out in the world. I, I hesitate to tell this story to people because, you know, at least for me, if you would have told me when I wrote at 12, most of all, I want to be a writer, what the process would be like, I'd be like, eh, you know what, maybe plumbing, <laughs> maybe some other thing, because there is just a lot of, um, there's a lot of rejection. There's a lot of waiting. It's a slow business. And so I wrote a follow-up novel, um, my publisher at the time, who was delightful, by the way, it was so good to me. Um, just, they were moving in a different direction. Eventually they had kind of a big, I think for a while they stopped doing YA. So they passed on my second novel. So I was out in the wilderness again. And, um, and then I parted ways with my agent who was also awesome. Uh, but you know, we just, uh, business wise, weren't looking for the same things. And so but, you know, I'm describing to you a process of four years and a couple of sentences. So that's, you know, trying and having conversations and and writing books and having them not go out. And so it was um, a long and winding road. And then I, I came upon this idea. Um, it also had a certain sense of urgency just with certain things that were going on nationally. I'm a big believer 
that when we know one another and we hear each other's stories, we can really feel empathy for each other and, and understand. And the way I know how to do that is to tell stories. So that's when I began working on Anna's story. So um, several trunk or, or drawer novels uh, <laughs> yes. in the interim there. Um, I, I, I'm, uh, I love to hear stories of those because there's, there's something about writing um, something that doesn't, doesn't go anywhere or not yet. Um, did you did you know that that those were uh, I, I don't want to say the wrong things to write at the time, because I don't I don't know that that's ever the case, but that those things weren't ready for today. Um, and and was there a feeling when you wrote love in English that this one is different from the other things um, that maybe didn't see the light of day? Uh, no, I, I lack that sense entirely. You know how some people have a really strong sense of smell and some people have a really weak sense of smell. Whatever the sense of this is called, I have none of that. Everything I write, I think, I love this. Please, world, love it. And very often the world's like, eh, not really. But every once in a while, so I haven't quite gotten that formula yet. But I, I had an interesting bit of feedback, which has really helped me um, feel like that was less futile. And I don't feel like it was futile, but you know, there is a certain frustration to writing sure. a full manuscript and having it not see the light of day, at least not yet. Oh, I have like yes. two of those. <laughs> I have like two of those that I think could get polished up into something at some point, but some of them belong in the drawer and will stay in the drawer. Anyway, I took a class at Highlights with Laura Ruby and Anne Ursu, who were just fantastic. Um, that was last year, no year before last now. Anyway, it was a while ago and they were talking, you know, all good and smart, um, professional writers tell you that the work is done in revision that, you know, drafting is nice, but all, and I hate really bad at revision because I'm a perfectionist and I think a lot and I work really hard on my first draft and there's a certain feeling of failure of like, if I gave this draft my best shot. And it somehow is still falling short. How am I ever going to know how to get there? Right. right. And I, I posed this question to Laura, who was the one who was um, reviewing the first 25 pages of, of one of the drawer novels, the fantasy that I do hope makes it out into the world at some point. And she said, you know, a lot of writers kind of work that through with uh, revisions on one novel. But from what you're describing to me, it sounds like you're working it through. In, in uh, on some level by writing the next thing and writing the next thing that that doesn't mean that the that the first draft of the third one is like ready to go out but you're you're learning where the pitfalls are as you write new things and maybe that's part of your process so maybe don't be so hard on yourself and that was uh, so in a weird way that helped me get better at revision because it felt like every pass gives me something new yeah. So love in English um, is uh, it it returns to uh, familiar territory from from your first book. Um, it's it's not by by no means a continuation of or uh, anything like that, but it's it's familiar uh, territory. Did did you uh, do you feel like that that you have some uh, some expertise in this area? Of, of course you do. This is uh, the kind of, you know, a, loosely based around your story but um did, did you was there a certain comfort in in returning to the subject matter or um writing a book that was sort of in the vein of the first book um 
You know, it's an interesting question. I wouldn't call it comfort. Uh, I wouldn't call it comfort because there is, there is discomfort in revisiting things that were difficult, you know, painful. Um, I, I still carry around a lot of sense of exclusion, um, you know, and, and do I belong? And and, I mean, and hearing my publishing story, you can imagine that it's been reinforced sometimes as an adult too. But, um, so, so there was some difficulty, but, um, I felt like I was on firm storytelling ground because this is an experience I can, I can give people a glimpse into. So in that regard, it was, I don't know if easy, but it did feel right. Yeah. So tell me about the character of Anna. Um, she is an immigrant, much, uh, much like you were. But as you said, you came to the United States at an early age. Anna comes in at at 16, I believe it is. And and her experience is completely different from what yours, uh, what yours was. Um, d- what, what made you decide to uh, to kind of, you know, look through this lens of, of, of picking this character and, and telling her story? Um, I like putting I like putting characters in in kind of a, a jam, <laughs> you know, a, a, <laughs> a jam that feels bigger than they are. And while uh, not speaking English at eight. Uh, left an indelible mark on me and I remember it and it was painful and, and interesting at times. Um, I, I knew that it would be a, a bigger challenge at 16 because she, now she's got a life in Argentina where she's from, where my parents grew up. Um, and she, you know, she has a sense of mastery. Uh, you know, she's a poet, she loves language and she, they're doing okay over there, but they, uh, they come to the United States. Uh, as so many do, you know, to, to chase the dream. And so she's dropped at an age where you kind of want to be getting your bearings in a place where she doesn't have her bearings at all. And it's about her first year here and her relationships that she forms and her friendships and such. While this book um, certainly um, tackles and, and touches on um, some very heady topics and um, some things that uh, could be very difficult, um, you don't approach the the story and the subject matter just um you know uh so grimly all the way through there this really is a fun book in a lot of ways um what was it uh what is your idea about um about balancing um the the difficult um realities that that we face with some humors a little bit of levity um and uh you know, some of the, the real world experience that's not also black and white. Yeah. I mean, I think there's a lot of conversation among writers, particularly writers for young adult and middle grade um, kids about pain narratives. Right. And I think there's a place for them. Secret side, I think would fall into the category of, of explaining the pain of a certain experience. Um, And, but, but also the place for, uh, letting characters who have these experiences, like not speaking English and being a new immigrant, um, just have their story and have it be light and fun. And so at its heart, love in English is a love story, right? It's, it, it, it does have, it's kind of uh, sprinkled in um, these experiences of not speaking English and the embarrassment of saying the wrong thing and, and the frustration of not being able to, to say what you mean. But she's having a, a year in high school and she's watching movies and laughing with friends and, and having adventures. And, uh, and I thought it was important to give it to her, 
that way, you know? Were, were there any specific challenges uh, of writing uh, YA and, uh, and are, are there, are, do, do you approach YA with a different mindset from writing adult? Yeah, for sure. I, I like to tell people for better or worse, I'm actually a 16 of uh, the snarky 16 year old at heart. <laughs> um, so I, I almost, it's almost more of a, it's almost more of a leap for me to write adult. Like if I'm writing in the war in, in the nar- narration that's going on in my head, that's 16 at all times. So, <laughs> so it, it, why is my, is my happy place for that? <laughs> I love that. Um, are, are there any um, particular conventions uh, that you follow when writing YA or is it just getting in touch with your snarky 16 year old self? <laughs> well, I mean, I love to read. I, I, there's just such a, a renaissance guy. There has been for, you know, 10 years, this great, great work being done in YA. Um, so I like to read a lot of what's, what's being done to make sure I'm kind of, keeping up with the pulse and, and, um, uh, so that's probably the, the most I do in order to get into that YA space to make sure I'm keeping up with the conversation. Yeah. So, uh, Maria, the, the question is, uh, with a seven year gap between the first two books, um, what is the third book looking like? So good news. I hope, I hope, I hope, you know, with, with a publishing history like mine, you never grow, you know, too soon, but, (laughs) um, love and English got sold in a two book deal. And the second book is in the works and scheduled for next year. So, uh, I, I hope, you know, uh, if, if all goes well, that the next book will be out in a year. Can you tell us anything about it or, uh, let's see. Uh, let's see what I can say. What I can say is it is also a contemporary love story. It is also, it will also have kind of meaty topics, but not the same. It's different characters, different location. Um, but you know, it'll be a nice mix between kind of a fun, like you said, a light, fun read with, with also some of the bigger questions of being human and being 16. Love it. Well, the new book is called Love in English. It is available everywhere now in Kindle edition or hardcover or audio book. However you like to read or consume books, you can grab it in any of those formats. We're going to put links to it in the show notes of this episode to make it easy to find. Uh, Maria, if people are fascinated by your story and want to dig into all the great stuff that you do, uh, where can they find you online? The best place to find me online is on my website. I have a newsletter. I like to say that I, um, my newsletter sending schedule is benign neglect. So don't be afraid to sign up for it because you won't hear more than once a month from me. <laughs> uh, so I'm at mariaeandrew.com and the link is mariaeandrew.com. Subscribe. I'm intermittent on Twitter at writer side of M, writer like the, the, the person who writes, W-R-I-T-E-R. And I am on Instagram at mariaeandrew. Excellent. We'll put links to all those places uh, in the show notes to make it easy for folks. Uh, Maria, this has been so much fun chatting. Thank you for taking time to come on the show today. Thank you. I had a great time, too. Thank you for your time. Authors, if you're looking for a partner to help ensure that your book is the best it can possibly be, look no farther than Pico's house. Crystal and her staff make a conscious effort to be critical yet courteous. They also strive 
to make the business side of things run smoothly so that you can rest easy knowing that your manuscript is in capable hands. Whether you need beta reading, developmental editing, a manuscript critique, line editing, copy editing, or proofreading, Pico's House is the one-stop shop for you. Check them out today at picoshouse.com to get started. The Bad Company Complete Series Omnibus, books one through seven. Humanity's greatest export, justice. Space is a dangerous place, even for the wary, especially for the unprepared. The aliens have no idea. Here comes the Bad Company. The Bad Company, book one, Colonel Terry Henry Walton, takes his warriors into battle for a price in this first installment of The Bad Company. He believes in the moral high ground and is happy to get paid for his role in securing it. Set in the Cutharian Gambit universe, Terry, Char, and their people-humans, werewolves, were-tigers, and vampires form the core of the Bad Company's direct action branch, a private conflict solution enterprise. Join them as they fight their way across Tissakinen 4, where none of the warring parties were what they expected. The seven-book series Omnibus includes The Bad Company, Blockade, Price of Freedom, Liberation, Destroyer, Discovery, Overwhelming Force... Grab the complete Bad Company series by Craig Martell now. How to Be a Badass Witch by Michael Anderley. Virtutus Gloria Mercis. Translation, glory is the reward of valor. Fed up with playing the normal game, recent university graduate, ex-cum laude, ex-soccer star, ex-popular and mostly broke Cara Madonna changes her life when she decides to research how to be a witch and believes it. Kara didn't want to go back east and deal with her overbearing mom, so when university was done, she stayed behind in Los Angeles. Little did she realize how controlling moms can be from the other side of the country. Feeling a little desperate to make her own way, she buys a few books on business and one on a lark, how to be a badass witch. That's when the trouble started. Find out just what trouble a young woman can get into when the magic just might be real. How to Be a Badass Witch by Michael Andrews. 